So come on, it is an honor to be here with you today to kick off our summer series where you are going to be talking about legends of the Old Testament. And so each one of the eight teaching pastors here at Northwood, isn't that cool that Northwood Church has eight teaching pastors? Uh, and I am honored to be one of those. And, and each one of us chose a different Old Testament hero or a story uh, of, of a man or, or a woman in the Old Testament. And we're going to each preach at all four of our locations throughout the summer. And so all four locations will get to hear all eight teaching pastors. And you're going to get to hear eight different messages this summer uh, about Old Testament legends. And so I want to give you just some instruction there. First of all, uh, don't miss, man, if you, if you got to be on vacation, try to, you know, plan it Monday to Saturday so you don't have to miss church, right? You know, and everybody's like, no, that's old school, bro. Yeah, it is. But um, no, show up, but take notes, take notes. If you're not a note taker, let me, let me just, let me just, please take notes today. And then that way, if the rest of the teaching pastors, if you don't take notes, I can brag a little bit that you took notes, right, from me. Come on, somebody laugh. And, but take, if you didn't bring a pen and paper, open your phone. There's a notes app in there. If it's an Apple phone, a notes app. And at the top, just to title it Isaiah, because I'm going to be talking about Isaiah today. And some of you have been wondering about Isaiah. You read Isaiah, or maybe you read the first chapter, and then you got to the second chapter, and you're like, I, I quit. And you jump to the next book because you're like, that's too much, too heavy. We're going to talk about Isaiah today, and I believe you're going to get some help, but you got to take some notes, and each week as you take notes, at the end of the summer, you're going to have eight messages that you can refer back to, and you can scan back through and remember what God, you want some wind in your sails, come on somebody, you got to get some wind in your sails, and you got to get some, some fodder, you got to get something there, and so it's, it's good to take notes, something to look back and see what God spoke to me, what God spoke to me about my life, and that's my goal today, is to help you to understand the book of Isaiah a little bit better and to be able to apply it to your life. We are going to, to look at different Old Testament heroes, and I do believe that we will grow in our understanding of, of God, of his word, and really by doing that, it'll build the faith that we have inside of us. Amen? And so, come on, Father, we thank you for um, the opportunity to come together like this and be your church. And it even as the video we just watched, uh, there are parts of the world where they can't do this. And God, we want to be as desperate as them. We don't want to get complacent. We don't, we don't want to be a ship with a sail that has no wind. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to breathe today. Breathe on me. Breathe on us. Be the wind in our sails, the reason we wake up each day. Today, I, I pray that this message would touch my life and our lives and that we would Wake up tomorrow contemplating the application and the very presence of Jesus in our lives. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about Isaiah today. I, I, we, 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 we came up with the idea of doing this series, and um, I was looking through the Old Testament, and who am I going to preach on? And I've preached on several of the Old Testament characters. And I wanted something you know, unique. I wanted somebody that may, they haven't ever preached before. I wanted somebody, but I never once thought Isaiah. I mean, I just like, you just like, it's kind of insane to think Isaiah. And so, but it kept coming to me. It kept coming to me. Isaiah, do Isaiah. And then I kept, I'd go in there and I'd start reading it and go, yeah, there's no way. And, and so I just avoided it for a while. But then finally, I, I believe the Holy Spirit uh, got to me and just, it was, okay, I got to do Isaiah. So I really, I really began to sit down and, and look at Isaiah. And I found it very intriguing and very helpful. I've enjoyed preparing for this. If you don't enjoy it today, I don't even care. 
I've enjoyed this, and it's helped me. It's helped me. But so, so, so let's jump in. Isaiah. Now, let me first of all talk about Isaiah, the guy. So just some, some things we need to know about Isaiah. First of all, his name means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. What a great name, man. The Lord saves, Isaiah. Uh, he was born in Jerusalem, um, 700 plus years before Jesus, and, and he grew up in Jerusalem, may have never left Judea, which was the, you know, the county uh, the, where uh, Jerusalem was located, and he um, would have been born and raised there in Jerusalem. His father's name was Amos, and the Bible doesn't say a lot about Amos, uh, whereas you, know, you look through some of the other folks in the Bible, and it talks a lot about their lineage. Here it just says his father's name was Amos. He was very probably, very likely related to the royal family because of his access to the royal family. Not everybody. If you look at other prophets, not all the prophets had access to the kings. As a matter of fact, they had to just do something really stupid for the kings to come and arrest them to be able to even preach to the kings. Whereas Isaiah had access. He was able to, go, he, he was able to minister to four different kings over his lifespan, his, his ministry. And uh, the fact that he had access, uh, most theologians agree that he probably was related in some way. Some say his dad was like cousin to one of the kings. Uh, but, but here and there, he had access to the kings. Uh, he was married to a prophetess. Very interesting there. Married to a prophetess. Doesn't say much about her or what she said, but the fact that he's married to a prophetess. Can you imagine? Sometimes I just try to imagine if I was a prophet and my wife was a prophetess in our house, what that would look like, right? We'd be prophesying to one another, you know, and see who could get the most doom and gloom going, you know? And so... I'm glad I'm not. He was a prophet. Isaiah was a prophet, which let me just tell you, the word prophet uh, in the Old Testament context means someone who was a mouthpiece of God. He spoke to the people of God for God, whereas like a priest would speak to God for the people. A prophet would speak to the people for God. He was a prophet from 739 B.C. to 686 B.C. That was the length of his prophetic ministry. Uh, Isaiah would have been a contemporary in his, his lifespan with both Hosea and Micah. So if you've read the Old Testament or if you're kind of a Bible scholar, been a Christian for a while and you've read through, both of those are books, uh, minor prophets in the uh, Old Testament. He would have been a contemporary with both Hosea and Micah. We see Isaiah's call from God uh, come around 739 B.C. And he actually writes about it. So in Isaiah chapter 6, Verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, and it describes the seraphim here. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. You just think some of the sci-fi films you've seen are freaky. Imagine what he saw that day. Yeah. And one called to the other saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Today when we were singing, holy, holy, we were singing that. I was thinking about the seraphim that day when Isaiah saw. He, they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in verse 4 it says, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah's in this vision, in this in this dream, and he's seeing these things. And, he, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs 
from, from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Wow, what a powerful calling. Now, I don't know about you, my calling to Christ was nothing like this at all. And probably yours wasn't either. This was a, this was a specific calling. But the, the fact is we all are called. We all are called. Uh, me and Pastor Casey aren't just the two guys in the room that are called. With, you know, maybe a few others in here. Maybe you, you got a calling on your life when you were you know, young and you preached some. It, it, that, that's not what a calling is. You're called. God called you one day. He, he looked at you when you were unclean. He looked at you when you were a man of unclean lips. He looked, looked at you when you were among the people, the members of a family that were unclean. And he said, here is my purification. Here is my salvation. Here is what the atoning work of the cross can do for you. And in that moment, he called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Come on, somebody. We are all called. And Isaiah exemplified here a man of humility. He was obviously a broken man. He, he readily admitted, I don't deserve to be in your very presence, God. I cannot believe I'm in your presence. I should not be here. What's well, a reminder to us not to ever get too proud, never get too haughty to where we say, I, you know, I deserve to be in your presence, God. Look at me. Look at me. I'm in the presence of God. I believe Isaiah gives us a great example of brokenness and humility and that we realize that without Christ, we are nothing. And Isaiah did that. And God exemplified, even in this story, that this vision that Isaiah saw. He, he, he knew about atonement because the priest would go and slaughter the lambs and the sheep and the bulls and goats and sacrifice it on the altar. And then they, the, 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 the head priest, the chief priest, would go in and sprinkle the blood of the lambs on the on the, on the holy place, and, and it would atone for the sins. So he understood the concept, but here it gave us even a, a bigger picture of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. And, and in this, Isaiah realized that it is God who atones. It is God who washes away. It says your sins are atoned for, your guilt is taken away. And when he heard the words, who shall I send? And I wonder, I wonder if you've been hearing God whisper those words in your life. Maybe it's who shall I send to the neighbor down the street. Maybe it's to the checkout lady at your local grocery store. Maybe who shall I send to your, your aunt or your uncle? Who shall I send? Maybe he's been asking you that question. And maybe you felt, nah, that's nah, not me, not me, not me. Today maybe just a little nudge to say, here I am, send me. Isaiah lived during a time of great political turmoil in Israel. Actually, it, it was the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah. This was after King David. So if you've read the Old Testament, you know that after King David and then Solomon, after Solomon, Solomon's son took the southern half of Israel and the northern half went to another king. And from then on, there were just a bunch of kings, some good, some wicked. 
But there were two divided kingdoms, and Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom, but he was not naive to what was going on in the northern kingdom. The northern ten tribes and the southern two tribes were split, and and there was great political turmoil between the two kingdoms, but also between the two kingdoms and all of the outlying uh, nations around them. The, there was constant threat of attack, and the northern kingdom of Israel was on the verge of collapse, and, and then eventually 10 of the 12 tribes were taken captive by Assyria in 722 BC. The southern kingdom of Judea was also under great threat. So you can imagine the tension. If we were constantly under tension of Russia invading or China invading the United States or, 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 or Venezuela bringing troops and trying to invade the southern border, you know, coming up through the port of Gulfport. You know, if we were always under the, the stress of that, that's exactly what the tension was in Isaiah's day. And eventually the southern kingdom of Judea was uh, captured and carried away by the Babylonians later on. Isaiah was God's spokesman primarily to Judah and Jerusalem and It was in the time when the nation not only was in great turmoil politically, but it was immersed in sin and rebellion to God. You know, when I'm I'm reading this and when I was reading through the the books of Isaiah, I I could hear so many things that I believe speaks to our nation even in, in our day. And I'm telling you, it wasn't always this way. Some of you are my age. I'm 55 years old. Some of you are my age. Y'all remember a time when it was a little more peaceful. But today is a little different, right? And, and there is such, I mean, the last two years have been just a whirlwind and, and, and really it, it, it bizarre. It blows my mind. And, and you look at the cultural unrest and the civil unrest, and then you look at the political unrest and what's going on and all the deception and lies and, and, and things that are obvious in front of you that's like, no, and yet yes, and it's, oh my goodness. And I believe you would have felt that in Isaiah's day, and he was prophesying during this time. He, he spoke God's indictment against the sins of the people and against the sins of the leaders, and he urged them to repent. You can imagine his call to repentance. Uh, He also foretold destruction upon the leaders and upon the nation of of Judah if they did not return to God. (laughs) And interestingly, if you look at Isaiah's life and then afterwards, the ancient rabbis said that at the end of his life, Isaiah hid in a cedar tree from the terribly wicked king Manasseh who ordered Isaiah sawed in two with a wooden saw. <laughs> Have you ever read in the book of Hebrews where it talks about the, the hall of fame? You know, Hebrews 11, you know, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, and all that. And you get to the end, and it talks about the different ones, and it just rattles off, you know. And, and in there, it doesn't say Isaiah's name, but it says, and some were sawed in two. That's talking about Isaiah. Can you imagine? Now, there are very, very uh, many familiar verses in the book of Isaiah that if you've been a Christian any length of time, uh, you would have either heard or heard sung or you would have, uh, or you would have read, read, maybe highlighted in your Bible. And if you still got a paper Bible, I pulled my paper Bible out. Some of you still got it. I pulled my paper Bible out, Bible out studying this. And uh, in the book of Isaiah, I've got lots of highlights. And listen to some of the scriptures and see if you recognize them. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, They shall become like wool. How many of you ever heard that or read that or sang that? You remember that one. That's a familiar one, right? Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. How many of you ever heard that one? Right? Christmas time. Yeah, we sing those songs. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. Come on, how many of you know that one? That's a very familiar one. Again, we, we, we read and sing about that one during the Christmas story, the Advent time. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Come on, how many of you, that's your life verse? Yeah, come on. You know, that's a good one. If it's not, it should be. That's what God does in our lives. You might want to highlight that or circle that or write that down. Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Let me stop. Some of you already know where we're going with this one, right? You're getting excited. How many of you remember Remember the Titans? You remember the movie Remember the Titans? You know, you, they started singing a song, and, and I start singing it every time I watch that movie. I've watched it like 50 times. Let me read it again. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Come on, somebody. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Y'all know that one. Y'all know that one. There we go. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Or in another version, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Come on, that's another good one from Isaiah. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Come on, you know that one? Another good one, yes. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, return to me void. That's what God says about the word of God when we profess it. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. One more, Isaiah 64, 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. How many, how many of you ever heard that one? We're, we're the clay on the potter's will and he's shaping us and forming us. So all these scriptures, so many and many more scriptures out of the book of Isaiah that impact our lives, influence our lives as Christians even today and as kids growing up. And you hear them, you don't know that Isaiah penned these things. You don't know that the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to pen these words, but there's so many different scriptures that we use that affect our lives today that come from Isaiah. So Isaiah wrote uh, these words well over 700 years before Christ, but if we looked back, if you're, if you're like, yeah, well, you know, prove it. And so we look back um, until um, the, the mid-1900s, um, the only manuscript we had of Isaiah would have been around 900 AD. And so there are some who would argue that, well, he, it was written after Christ, and that's why they nailed it and got Christ so many different times in there. You know, it's like after the life of Christ, they nailed it. But then something amazing and quite bizarre happened in 1946-47 when um, some folks found the scrolls in the cave of Qumran, and, and they're called the Dead Sea Scrolls. How many of you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? And so one of the finds in the caves there in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls was a full scroll, like the whole book of Isaiah was found, and it was dated 175 B.C. So it was, it was a copy but it was dated 175 B.C., 175 years before Christ was born. And so all those naysayers who were saying, you know, you know oh, yeah, he wrote that or somebody wrote that well after Christ, that all that crumbled when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the book of Isaiah by itself uh, is extremely important to the Christian faith because it contains 19 messianic prophecies that point directly 
to Jesus. And prior to finding the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which they call it the Great Isaiah Scroll, uh, the earliest manuscript was in 900 AD, so, so a thousand years before the, 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 the latest known scroll, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and now they have that manuscript. So when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they found they took the, the book of Isaiah, the scroll, they took the, these uh, other findings, and they did multiple tests on these documents because they wanted to be sure that it, they weren't fakes, that they wanted to be sure that they were authentic. And um, being that they held a and had a full copy of Isaiah, this was very, very important. This was a deal maker, deal breaker for many. It was the thing that they needed to prove. And so they did. They did all the tests. They tested the language. They tested the word structure. They tested the spelling as well as the dating of the specimen. And every single test they did came back stating that it was authentic. The scroll that they found was authentic and dated to 175 B.C. The great scroll that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls further, is further proof of the validity of the Bible. Now, the New Testament quotes Isaiah's prophecies more than any other prophets from the Old Testament put together. If you take all the old pro other prophets, the book of Isaiah is quoted more times in the New Testament than all the others put together. As a matter of fact, 90%, which is all but 25 of the New Testament's 260 chapters, quote from Isaiah's writing. 90% of the New Testament quotes from the writings of Isaiah. I, I had no idea when I started this study what I was going to find here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, all quoted from Isaiah's prophecies extensively. They directly quote from 30 of Isaiah's chapters and indirectly quote from eight more, totaling 38 of Isaiah's 66 chapters that are quoted by those people alone in the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, you don't realize the great influence of the book of Isaiah that it has. Jesus even quoted Isaiah at least eight times. Most famously was when he was in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Y'all remember the story? He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and, it, and he was actually, this was uh, Isaiah 61, verse was 1 and 2 that he was reading. He said, he read this, Jesus read this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture <laughs> has been fulfilled in your hearing. I don't know where Isaiah was at that moment. Maybe he was in Abraham's bosom, right? I hope he got to see that. Man died in a tree trunk being sawed in two by an evil king. And he might have thought, all that I've done, all that I've said, all that I've written was hopeless. And Jesus stood up in the synagogue. Isaiah is often called the Messianic prophet. Some early church fathers regarded the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel because of its impact and its, its content. Just Listen to this. Just as the Bible has 66 books, the writings of Isaiah has 66 chapters. <clears throat> In the Bible, there are 39 Old Testament books and there are 27 New Testament books. In the book of Isaiah, it's split in two parts. The, old, the, uh, the first 39 chapters speak of destruction. The second 30, uh, 27 chapters speak of salvation. 
just like the Bible. The book of Isaiah is, is almost chapter for chapter like the Bible. Chapter 40, which would be the, the beginning of the second section of the book of Isaiah, it transitions us to that second half. It begins the same way as the New Testament begins. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway of our God. Who's that talking about? Oh, he's talking about John the Baptist. Now, y'all remember that? John the Baptist, the voice crying in the wilderness. That's exactly how the book of Isaiah starts, and that's exactly how the book of Mark starts. In the middle chapter of the second half, in that, in that salvation half, in the middle chapter, chapter 53, right dead in the center of the middle of chapter 53, we find the pinnacle of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who's that talking about? Now that's talking about Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. You can imagine being a disciple of Jesus. You can imagine. Maybe it wasn't one of the 12. Maybe we weren't one of the 12, but we were in the entourage. You know, we were one of the 144. How's that? We were just part of the group, and we were following him around. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We were just following Jesus around a lot, you know, and we were seeing things happen, especially, especially at the crucifixion. Maybe we weren't one of the ones, or maybe we were one of the ones saying crucify him, but we were there. We witnessed it, and all of a sudden, God begins to bring to our remembrance what we had learned as a little boy, because as a little boy, we would have learned the book of Isaiah. And the, the scriptures, like we just read, that, that, that talk about the suffering servant of Jesus Christ, what he would do, he would come, and he wouldn't say a word on trial. And Pilate said, come on, man, defend yourself. And he's like, he didn't say a word. He was like a sheep being led to slaughter, exactly what Isaiah said. And, 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 and then he went to the cross, and he took on the sins of the world. And just to see that, and then to hear mom in the back of your mind quoting those scriptures to you as a child, making you memorize the book of Isaiah, and then you're standing there going, oh my goodness. Imagine being one of the men or women there following Jesus and seeing what happened that was exactly like Isaiah said. Do you think you would believe? <laughs> I don't know, because, because we have 2,000 years later even more proof, and we still don't necessarily believe. We still question whether God is real or not. Oh, maybe you're at 85%. Maybe you're at 90%, 95% even. You've been around a little while, 98%, but there's still a hesitation, a reservation. There's many even that are only at 10% because we're kicking the tires, you know? <laughs> that's, that's the old saying. We're kicking the tires, seeing if God's real. I don't know about that. That's, you know, that's my mama's religion. I don't know. There's people who question. You know, the Bible says that God's creation should be enough. Man, I was walking last night. I like to walk in the evenings after the sun goes down. It's cool. I was walking last night, and I was out about 10, 30, 11 o'clock on, on my road. I live on a country road and very little traffic, and I'm walking pitch dark, and the trees are like, like I don't know, I consider it like angels there just like ministering to me as I walk. You know, maybe that's a little prideful. But I'm looking up at the stars, beautiful clear sky. I could see every star, it seemed. And, 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 I, and, I'm, and I'm, I got emotional. I'm thinking... God, you're amazing. How could someone deny that God is real? You know, for someone to fulfill 
let's say, eight prophecies from the Old Testament. For one man to fulfill eight prophecies from the Old Testament is so unlikely. As a matter of fact, you know what the odds are that one man could fulfill eight prophecies about him from the Old Testament to the New? For Jesus to do what he did. The odds are one and ten, one in ten to the 17th power. That's what the odds are that Jesus could fulfill just eight prophecies. There was a study done, a professor did a study for his class, and he lectured on this, and he said, just to give you an illustration, because honestly, when I say that, one in 10 to the 17th power, I mean, what does that even mean, right? I mean, if you don't, if you don't do math well, you're like, okay, but you know, that's literally like one in 10 to the 17 zeros. You know, a million is six zeros, a billion is nine, think 17. What, what number is that? Does anybody know? Yeah, it's a gazillion, right? That's what I would say too. But that still doesn't register. The odds of Jesus, one man fulfilling at least eight prophecies from the Old Testament, is one in 10 to the 17th power. What does that even mean? So a scientist, uh, a professor did a study, and he says, if you took a silver dollar and you marked it, and you put it in a batch of other silver dollars, and you mix it up really good, and you spread them out over the state of Texas, two feet deep over the whole state, and you blindfolded a man, and you said, okay, now go, Anywhere you want and pick up one silver dollar, you got one shot to pick up the marked silver dollar. And that's one in the tenth, one in tenth, the seventeenth power chance. That's the odds of one man fulfilling just eight prophecies about him. Jesus fulfilled over 300. There's not a number big enough. I'm just kicking the tires. I tell you what, that scares me, that I would be that proud, that I would resist God in that way. You know, when I was preparing for this, I, I, I'm, I'm saying, let me say this humbly, okay? Let me, let me this is ser- sincere and humble, but I was preparing this, and I got to this part, and I was looking at, at my goodness, Isaiah 53, and what Jesus did for us. And knowing that people reject Jesus, knowing that, knowing God doesn't send anyone to hell, right? We reject Jesus and we choose hell over Jesus. And knowing that people would say things like, I just don't know if God is real. I just don't know if the Bible is real. And, and you know, it just, to me, it's, and I'm like, God, help me prove you're real. Because we want to do that. That's a noble thing. And I really believe this, and maybe, maybe just leave me in my na- naivety, but I believe this. God spoke to me, and he said, I don't have to prove a thing. Wow. And it's true. You're struggling to believe God, and you want him to give you a sign. He's already given signs. The book of Isaiah definitively proves the Bible is real and that God is real. There's absolutely no way the events that we're talking about today could have taken place without God's hand. Not to mention those gazillion stars and the beautiful flowers and the butterflies that used to be worms and the fish and the beautiful animals and the beautiful faces of the people in this room that not want to like. There's absolutely no way. The odds are insurmountable. 
There's a theme in the Old Testament, a theme in the book of Isaiah that runs throughout Isaiah, and it's summed up in Isaiah 12 too. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. It actually echoes the meaning of Isaiah's name, which is the Lord saves. The Lord saves. We might be tempted to question the strong presence of judgment that runs through the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. But I'll tell you what, the good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. The presence of judgment indicates the necessity for salvation. Before we can have salvation, we must have a need for it. Our eyes must be open to see how sinful we are. You know, the word sin comes from an old Greek word. It's, a, it's an archery term, and it means to miss the mark. I don't know if you've ever shot a bow. I've got a compound bow, and Caleb, my son right here, remember we got him, we were going to go deer hunting with him, and I think we went twice, and we didn't see no deer. <clears throat> But we target practice. Remember that? You know, we you know, pull and shoot. And when you miss the mark, that, that's called sin. And you know, in life, we all miss the mark. I miss the mark every day. Yes, Pastor Mike misses the mark. You miss the mark every day. We are sinners. We are sinners. And if you don't see yourself as a sinner, put, put my verse back up, please. Oh, my, my thing, yeah, that thing. If you don't see yourself as a sinner, you don't see yourself as in need of salvation. If you don't first understand how filthy you are, the Old Testament tells us that our best, our best is like filthy rags to God. And sure, you can compare yourself to someone else and think you're better than them. Okay, I'm not as bad as them. Okay, at least I'm not as bad as them. And somehow pridefully think that you're something, but in, if you, you, you can't. Because they don't judge you and they don't determine your eternal destiny. God does. And, and so you have to compare yourself to Jesus. I have to compare myself to Jesus. Now, am I good? Absolutely not. I missed the mark. I sin. And compared to Jesus, I'm helpless. And yet... Isaiah reminds us that God is our salvation. Isaiah contains one of the clearest expressions of the gospel in all of the Old Testament. Even from the first chapter, it's clear that people, and, and that would be us, have turned from God and failed in their responsibility as his children. We have all fallen short. Yet God miraculously holds out hope to unrepentant people offering the cleansing of our sins and the blessing that comes with faith and obedience to him. I don't know that if you were God or I were God, we would be as gracious, yet he is. He knows all, he sees all, and he's the very essence of redemption. Salvation lies only in God. The only question is whether or not we will accept his offer. 
maybe you're a Christian here today. Maybe you're watching online. You're a believer already. Let today's message remind you of your great need for God. And I, I want to challenge you like I did last night. And I wasn't planning it. It just spontaneously happened. But take a, take a moment to admire God's creation and the beauty of his creation. And I want to tell you what. It will humble you. It will humble you to realize that no man made those stars. No man made those beautiful trees. And yeah, man made the asphalt that I'm walking on. And it's kind of hot. I don't even like it. It reminds me of hell. God made those beautiful birds. I'm listening to the crickets and the tree frogs and the occasional bullfrog croaking. And I'm just, in that surreal moment, I just encourage you to, to go and experience that. Take some time. Get out of the city. Get, get somewhere quiet and ah, just listen to God and admire God and appreciate God. I tell you, I can't thank our worship team enough. They lead us each week in worship, praising God. We have to do that or we begin to look at ourselves as something that we're not. So if you're a believer here today, let's let today's message, let's let Isaiah remind us that even though we're saved, we still need a Savior. Every day, every day, walk with him and talk with him. Experience him every day. Hear his voice. If you're here today, you're watching online and you're not a believer yet, I pray that God would open your eyes to see your sinfulness, to see how dirty you are, to see how awful you are compared to Jesus. Not compared to Mike. We bros. We're sinners. We all miss the mark. We're all the same, but not compared to me, compared to Jesus. We're desperate and desperately in need of a Savior. I want to pray with you right now. If God has opened your eyes, if you're watching online or you're here in the room today, I want to pray with you a simple prayer of salvation to help you, just lead you to a place of connecting with him. So would you get along with God all over the room? Father, we humbly come before you. And like Isaiah, we say we are men and women of unclean lips. We're, we walk among men and women of uncleanliness. We are sinners. We are nothing without Jesus. And we are desperately in need of salvation. Father, we thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to give his sinless life a sinful people. And you did this because of your great love for us. And today we want to receive that love and receive that free gift of salvation. So for those of you, maybe you haven't done this, just say something like this. Say, God in heaven, help me out, folks. God in heaven, please forgive me of my sins. I turn from them today and I ask you to save me. Come live inside of me. Teach me to know you. Teach me to love you. And just tell him something like this. Say, God, I give you all of me. And I receive all of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Real quick, take, look up at this way. Look, real quick, look this way. If you're online, just let me, let me say one more thing before we go. When, when we come to God and we pray and we ask God for forgiveness and we... We receive his free gift of salvation. God tells us in the Bible that he is faithful to forgive our sins. 
wash them away with the blood of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer today from your heart, if you confess it with your mouth, you're online, you're in the room, you prayed that prayer, I can confidently say that your sins are forgiven because that's what God says. Yeah, come on, give it up for those who made decisions. If that's you and you did that, you, you gave your sins to God and he has forgiven your sins and now God's reaching out and he's saying, come on, grab my hand. Let me show you how to live this new adventure. Let me, let me show you how to walk in freedom now. Let me show you how to know me and to love me. Let me show you what the word of God means, the truth of God's word means and how it can bring life to your mortal body. Let me show you how to live. And I'll tell you this, all of a sudden things change. Tomorrow's Monday and you're going to get to tomorrow. You're going to wake up tomorrow and tomorrow's going to have the same problems that last Monday had. But the difference for those of you who prayed that prayer today, the difference is going to be you're not going to be alone facing those problems, but God's going to be right there with you. And he's going to show you how to live in this world, glorifying him, hearing his voice. It's a good life. Amen. Amen. One more time, give it up for those who made decisions today. I will say as a church, Northwood Church would love to cheer you on, be, be championing your new adventure with God. And, and so we're, we, would, we would encourage you to, to connect with us. If you're here in the room, there's a, there's a card in the seat pocket that says next steps on it and the pin there, uh, seat pocket in front of you. Just fill that out real quick and check the box. I made a decision to follow Jesus. And you can drop it off at our Next Steps area or to any one of the leaders up in the front here. The prayer team is going to be here uh, to pray for you. Just give it to one of them. Give it to one of the pastors. And we're going to be praying with you. And we're also going to reach out to you through text message and try to answer questions that you may have and help you with your next steps. Uh, if you're online, you can do that. Just click in the comments there. Click in the link there that says next steps. And it's simple to fill out. And we'll reach out to you and connect with you. We'll be praying with you. Amen. Come on, won't you stand to your feet today? We're going to close out the service by worshiping the King of Kings. Come on, we get that privilege. And so let's worship together.